Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Bachelor Creek. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the ministers here, and uh, we're so glad that you have joined us for worship today as we continue this series on gaining wisdom. Last week, we began by discussing the fear of the Lord, and we unpacked this concept a little bit and made it clear that God's intention wasn't that we would be afraid of Him. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean that we're scared of God, rather that we would have reverence and awe and respect for Him, that we would understand that He is magnificent and He, is, he has awesome power as the creator of the universe. And so this week, as we move along in this series, we're going to be talking about a part of our lives that applies to every single person in this room, work. See, whether you have a full-time job or a part-time job, maybe you have like a side hustle, or maybe you just volunteer. You volunteer at the church or you volunteer at an organization in the community. If you've got a garden in your backyard, if you have kids that you're raising, if you have almost anything else that requires your effort or attention, then you know what it is to work. The animated movie Pixar, Wally, the, the movie Wally, it's a, it's a cute story. It's this curious robot whose job is to clean up a trashed earth. And while at one time humans inhabited the earth, we soon discovered that they have been evacuated from the earth, and they hope to return one day after the robots have cleaned up the mess. And Wally is this hardworking robot, but he has a rather lonely existence. But that all changes when Wally meets another robot by the name of Eve. And Wally quickly gains a fondness for his newfound friend whose name evokes a biblical image of creation. Wally enthusiastically pursues Eve to the point of making an unplanned journey via spaceship to a high-tech space station where humans who have made a real mess of planet Earth, they're now living in this utopian, carefree, work-free existence. And as residents of this space station, humans are waited on hand and foot by robots who attend to their every desire, every whim. And so as a result... These pampered humans have become self-indulgent, bored couch potatoes. And after time passes, these adult humans, they, their appearance begins to change. Now they resemble giant babies with soft faces and, and, and rounded bodies and, and stubby, weak limbs. And it's all the result of human beings doing nothing but cruising around on cushy, padded reclining chairs. Their eyes are continually fixed on video screens. They consume large amounts of calories. Their days are spent sipping from straws that are sticking out of giant cups. Now, the creators of Wally, they, they explore many themes, but possibly none is more than what it means to be human. Wally reminds us that a do nothing couch potato existence is actually repulsive and dehumanizing. As human beings, we were not created to be do-nothings. We were created with work in mind. Interestingly, work has been with us from the very beginning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Genesis chapter 2. First book of the Bible, Genesis, second chapter. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. And would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? David mentioned it a moment ago, but I just want to reiterate, if you have a Bible, we encourage you to bring it with you. 
to, to follow along on Sundays. I think God grows our faith in, in, in very real, tangible ways when, when we are reading along in Scripture. We try to put it on the screens as well, but if you have a Bible, I encourage you to bring it with you. Uh, and like he said, we've got Bibles there in the back of the worship center. If you don't have one, feel free to take one. But we're going to begin reading in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God had made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So within this story, we see several examples of work being done. And there's one thing that we can't move past, and it's simply this. Work has been with us from the very beginning. As we dive in today, it's important that we start at the beginning of Scripture to understand just how fundamental work is to our existence. Work was present before the Garden of Eden, it was present in the Garden of Eden, and it continued on after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. After God had created Adam, he gave Adam a job to do. We're told in Genesis 2, verse 19, that Adam's job was to name all of the animals. Now, how cool is that? Like, of all the jobs you could do, like being able to just name animals, that's got to be pretty high on the list of things that you'd want to do. Like, think back to your first job. Was it that cool? Like, my first job was mowing yards, like push mowing yards. It was boring. It was hard. And then I got a job at a, uh, like a plant nursery where we did landscaping and stuff, and that was a little bit better. And it wasn't until I started working at the campground at Mississinawal Reservoir that, that I really had a job that, that I enjoyed. But none of those jobs, I think, would have been as cool as getting to name the animals. And I don't know how this worked. Like, I don't know the process of, of how this all came about. But I picture, remember how like Noah had the animals line up two by two going before the ark? So in my mind, at least, I picture, you know, Adam standing there and all the animals are lined up and they kind of come by him and he's kind of looking at them and he's like, cat, dog, horse, cow, blue jay, squirrel, and at first, like, it's exciting, he's got all these ideas, and, and he's naming them, but, but after a while, it's got to get hard, right? Like, you just start coming up with words, you start making up stuff, you're scratching your head thinking, man, like, 
getting a little slap happy, a little delirious, all these animals are running together. And, because how else do you explain this? How do you explain a pink fairy armadillo? Or a, a strange-tailed tyrant? Where, where do you get that name? Or a, a chicken turtle? Or, or a mountain chicken? It's not even a chicken, it's a frog. It's called a mountain chicken. So, like, I guess at the end of the day, like, Adam was getting hungry, and he's like, man, chicken sounds really good for dinner. And so he just starts naming things with chicken. And then you have this, colon rectum. <laughs> Maybe it's a good time to remind you that next Sunday is Family Worship Sunday, so we're going to have kids, kindergarten and older, with us in worship, and there is no way that I could have said that next week with all the kids in here without totally losing control of the room. So we'll, say it, we'll, we'll share it this week. All this to say is that God gave Adam a job. God gave Adam work to do. And then when Eve joined Adam, the two of them were, were tasked with a the job. They were told to, to cultivate and to take care of the garden. And so with all of this in mind, you could say that work is essential. Work is essential. It's necessary. Now, if you're familiar with the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, you know that God created the entire earth in six days. And so we see that even before humans enter the equation, God is already hard at work. In fact, elsewhere, God describes himself as a worker. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees why he, in their opinion, was violating the Sabbath, Jesus' response in John 5, verse 17 was, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. In the creation account, God gives us a blueprint to follow, to, to structure our work week. Six days on and, and one day off, a day for a Sabbath rest. And in theory, this is the same rhythm that Adam and Eve kept while they were living in the garden. But the unfortunate reality is, and I mentioned it a moment ago, is that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. When they disobeyed God, when, when they ate of the forbidden fruit, sin entered the world. Theologically, we know it as the fall, the, the fall of man. And sin has affected every bit of our existence since that moment including our work, work that was life-giving and, and completely satisfying now became toilsome, became frustrating. We read about it in Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. God tells Adam and Eve, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And this is the work that you and I now know. It can be difficult. It can feel like a grind. And there are times where, let's be honest, we just don't want to do it. Can we be real? There are days where the alarm clock goes off in the morning, you're like, don't really want to get up today. Not, not really excited about going to work. Not, not all the time, but, but sometimes. It's why there are songs like everybody's working for the weekend, right? The implication is work is hard, weekend is fun. Or, or there's the, the lyrics to uh, I don't want to work, I want to bang on these drums all day. And that's how many of us feel about working. We, we'd almost do anything else rather 
than work. And yet this is where the, the difficulty lies. That work is an essential part of our existence, yet it's a difficult part of our existence. It's essential, but, but it's difficult. But thankfully, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about work, about how to do it, about how not to do it. And most of the instruction revolves around this idea of work being diligent. So work requires diligence. We can define diligence as careful or persistent work or effort. Say, what's that mean? Well, sometimes when we're talking about a term or an idea, it helps us to look at the opposite of that. And if we know the opposite of something, it helps us better understand what that thing really is. And so the opposite of diligence would be laziness, idleness, apathy. So if we know, we know what those, we know what it is to be lazy. Well, diligence would be the opposite of that. Here's just a few ways that diligence is mentioned in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says that lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12 verse 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Proverbs 12 verse 27, the lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Proverbs 13, verse 4, a sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So there seems to be this overarching theme here from the writer of Proverbs, that that diligence is contrasted with laziness. Satisfaction is contrasted with want. The, The writer of Proverbs would probably say, it is wise to work diligently, it is foolish to be lazy. And I think for so many of us in this room, we understand this reality very well. You know that it is impossible to accomplish your goals apart from hard work. Whatever dreams, whatever desires, whatever goals you have, they're not just going to magically fall into your lap. So things like integrity and honesty and, and righteousness, they require effort and intentionality. The head coach of the Phoenix Suns, Monty Williams, he tells his players this. Everything you want is on the other side of hard. Dave Ramsey says, if you'll live like no one else now, you can live like no one else later. And what both of these men are saying is the wisdom that's found in the book of Proverbs about work is true. Even more, what God told Adam and Eve in the garden is also true. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Work is both an essential part of our lives, but it's a difficult part of our lives. And the truth is, we won't always enjoy it because of the fall. Work requires diligence. Work also requires persistence. Uh, Persistence is defined as firm or obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. So persistence is when you keep on going. You press on even though it's hard, even though there's some some roadblocks and and some speed bumps, but you keep on going. And so along with diligence comes this word persistence. And for many of us, we need persistence to help us through the dry and difficult seasons of life. My my first job in full-time ministry was at a church in Texas that that I was at for 14 years, and and it it was a struggle early on. 
I've told you that you know, I grew up in small town Indiana, went to a small school, went to a small Bible college in Tennessee. I served at a small church there in Tennessee. And so when, when I end up in Texas at a large church in a large city to launch and start a brand new ministry, a college ministry, I, I just felt like a small fish in a big pond. I felt like I was in over my head, and so I just kind of hit the ground running, and I'm trying to figure this out. And so we want to reach college students for Christ. And so I'm trying to think, you know, what, how, how are we going to do this? And we weren't located like in the backyard of a big college or university. Like TCU and SMU were, were 45 minutes away from us. We had a community college a couple miles down the road from us, and I said, okay, like, this is where we're going to kind of put home base, and this is where we're going to reach out to students. But what I discovered, the irony of a community college is there's no community in a community college. It's, here's what happens. It, it, students get in their cars because they live at home. They're commuter students. They get in their cars. They drive to school. They get out of their car. They go into class. They have their class. They get back in their car, and they go home. People aren't hanging out at a community college. And so it was like nothing that we were trying to start on campus was taking off, and I was getting frustrated, and I was getting discouraged, and there were Wednesday nights where we'd have uh, college-age Bible studies early on, and we'd have five, six, eight people there. I'm thinking, God, what, what, what am I doing? Like, like should I even be, be doing this? Like, there, there's no fruit. Like, like we're, we're totally missing the mark here. And I was, I was talking with a friend and a mentor, and I was expressing to him just my frustration. He said, Joel, half the battle is showing up. He said, half the battle is just showing up. And if you will show up and continue to show up, just wait and see what God will do. And so I did. I said, okay, I'm just going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep persisting. And I'm so glad that I did. Because if I had given up, I wouldn't have been able to see the fruit that was going to come. And I remember a couple years later when we launched a, a college-age uh, uh, worship gathering, weekly worship gathering, and, and 100 students showed up on that first night. I was just so thankful that I had continued to show up. I read this past week that, that 80% of podcasts that are launched this year won't make it till next year. You know what that means? They, they gave up. See, I, I don't know, maybe they didn't get the, the results as quickly as they wanted. Maybe they didn't get enough downloads. Maybe they didn't get enough listeners. Maybe they had a hard time coming up with, with new content. Maybe it conflicted with some other things. But for whatever reason, 80% of, of those podcasts that are launched this year won't still be in existence next year. Is work always easy? Is it always fun? Is it always enjoyable? No. But that doesn't make it wrong that work is such a fundamental piece of our lives. What if God knew that we needed work? What if he knew that without it we would become lazy and distracted and idle? Laziness and idleness, they don't lead to an enjoyable and fulfilling end. But you know, satisfaction and a job well done, that's a real thing. And I imagine that God knew these truths very well before he wove work into the very fabric of our existence. So if you and I are going to work with diligence, and if we're going to work with persistence, then we need to believe that God knows all and God knows best. We have to believe that God knows all and God knows best. Let me give you another definition. Omniscience. Omniscience is defined as the state of knowing everything. Omniscience is, is all-knowing. And so, yeah, work isn't always enjoyable. Work isn't always fun. It's, it's hard. 
But as believers, we trust that God knew what he was doing when he created the universe. It's hard for us to imagine what life would be like without work. But regardless of how we feel about it, it is a fundamental part of life as a human. And learning to trust God goes back to what we talked about last week. We stand in awe and reverence of our divine creator. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. God is the architect of the universe, not you or me. And Proverbs 1 7 continues to say, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. It is foolish to despise the wisdom of God. And there are many of us we've learned the hard way. But listen, it doesn't always have to be learned the hard way. Work can be difficult, and there are definitely seasons where it just feels monotonous. It feels like, like, like you're just dying a slow death. Maybe there's conflict between employees at work. Maybe there's, there's different direction or vision between you and your boss. Maybe you don't have that, that passion. Maybe that, that spark isn't lit within you about what you're doing. Maybe you don't believe in the mission of the organization that, that you're working for. But for those times in our life where, where it just feels like a grind, our good and our gracious Heavenly Father gave us another gift. He gave us a gift that the writer of Proverbs didn't know about yet. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was sent to comfort us, to guide us, and to empower us through life. So we also need to believe that God will give you what you need. You have to believe that God's going to give you what you need. Because when I think of difficult seasons in my life, those, those dry times, I realize in hindsight, now I don't always realize it in the moment, but I realize in hindsight that God was giving me all the strength I needed to persist in diligence and integrity. And God did that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He does the same for you too. So I want us to look briefly at one of the hardest working, one of the most persistent, one of the most focused characters in all of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And he took this message of faith in Jesus Christ, this, this new faith that emerged after Jesus rose from the dead, and he begins sharing this throughout the Mediterranean region. And, and Paul's out there and he's planting churches and he's raising up leaders and he's discipling people. And along the way, he faces extreme opposition. There's shipwrecks. He, he's beaten. He's thrown in prison. And while he's sitting in prison, he writes the letter of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 4, he's talking about, he's like, listen, I know what it's like to be in want, and I know what it's like to have a plenty. I know what it's like to, to be up on the mountain. I know what it's like to be in the valley. He's like, I know what it's like to be everywhere in between. But with everything that God has called me to do, he says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And just as God supplies seed for the sower, and he gives food to the sparrow, and he provides sunshine to the flowers, he will also supply everything that you and I need to accomplish the work that he has called us to do. Any good father in here knows that you can't ask your kids to wash the car without giving them the supplies they need to get the job done. A good father is going to make sure that they have access to a hose, and they've got a bucket, and they've got a sponge, and soap, and towels. And God is the best father. He's the perfect father. And so believe me when I say that he knows exactly what you need to accomplish what he's called you to. 
So as we wrap up today, I want to reiterate something that we've already stated a couple of times. Work is both an essential and a difficult part of our lives. And with that in mind, there is incredible wisdom about work that's found in the book of Proverbs. It's in Proverbs that we learn about diligence and persistence and the long-term effects that laziness can have on your life. And while work isn't always fun, and yeah, there's going to be times where we find extreme fulfillment and satisfaction in in what we're doing. And and I think that, that satisfaction we feel is a foretaste of what's to come. We know that work is something that God has given to us. In his omniscience, he knew that for one reason or another, that work was a benefit to humanity. And so here's my challenge for you this week. This week, try to see your work with fresh eyes. Try to see your work as a gift that God has given to you instead of a curse that you just have to gut out five or six days a week. You might even try, as Colossians 3 verse 23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters. This week, consider what it would look like to work for Jesus. What if Jesus were your boss? How would that change? How would that improve what you do? What if Jesus' opinion were the only one that mattered? And with that in mind, when it comes to work, one of the wisest decisions that you and I can make is to work hard and work well. Work has been with us from the beginning, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. In fact, did you know that you and I will be working for all of eternity? Yeah, Revelation 14, 13 tells us that heaven is a place where believers will rest from their labors. But that's talking about our striving. That's, that's, that's talking about the, the, the toil. Heaven will be a place where we work. We will have tasks to perform. Revelation 12, or excuse me, Revelation 22, verse 3 says that in the New Jerusalem, when the Lamb is on the throne, that his servants will serve him. So we can just toss aside this popular idea that for all of eternity we're going to be lounging on clouds playing harps. No. Just like God created Adam and Eve to work in the Garden of Eden before sin corrupted the world, God has created us to work in his new creation. But here's the difference between our work in eternity and our work now, is that our work in eternity will be completely satisfying, completely fulfilling. It will be immensely joyful. In his book, Heaven, Randy Alcorn says, we'll have work to do, satisfying and enriching work that we can't wait to get back to, work that will never be drudgery. And the way that we can prepare ourselves now for the work that we'll enjoy in eternity is found in that verse, Colossians 3.23. Work as if working for the Lord. That is the goal of our work now and forevermore. For our work to be an act of worship, glorifying the Lord. And so since that's true, let's enter into work with diligence and persistence, knowing that God will give us what we need because he knows best. And as you work, know that Jesus has and is working for you. On the cross, Jesus spread out his arms wide, and he sacrificed his life as a payment for our sins. It was his work that brought our forgiveness. And he was buried in a tomb. God raised him from the dead three days later, and then Jesus ascended to go to the Father. And Jesus is still at work. Hebrews tells us that Jesus lives to intercede for us, 
And Jesus right now is also, he's preparing a place for us. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am going to prepare, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that where I am, you will be also. Jesus is preparing an eternal home. He is preparing the place where you and I will enjoy perfect work, completely satisfying work. And the way we enter into that is through faith in Jesus. It's faith in his finished work. Just a couple of verses later in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that? Let's pray together. God, I pray as all of us engage in work at some level or another, God, that we would do so knowing that you have given us wisdom to work hard and work well. God, I pray that, that we would work with diligence, we would work with persistence. God, that we would believe that, that you have given us everything we need to do well. And, and God, when we are frustrated, when we struggle with work on this earth, God, would, would you remind us through your Holy Spirit that a day is coming where we will cease from our labors. We won't strive and toil like we so often do here on earth, but we will be in a place in eternity where there will be completely satisfying work, work that, that we can't wait to do. And the best part of it, God, is that we will be in your presence forevermore as we worship you. And the way that we enter into that completely soul-satisfying work is through faith in Jesus, and it's only through Jesus. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And the only way, God, that we get to you is through him. And if there is anybody here today who has not put their faith and trust and their life, their work in Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day that they make that confession, that declaration that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of their life. A relationship with Jesus changes everything, including our work. We thank you, God, that Jesus died for our sins. That, that sin that makes work so toilsome has been covered and it's been forgiven by Jesus. And so it's in his name that we declare this. The name that is above every other name. Amen.